If you are in the 81% of aspiring authors out there, stop aspiring and start writing with Readsy. Readsy allows indie authors to find and work with the best publishing professionals, from developmental editors to book cover designers to publicists. Just sign up for an author profile, browse the extensive marketplace of professionals, find the best fit for your project, and set a collaboration in motion. And with built-in contracts, protection, and mediation from Readsy, finding qualified freelancers, editors, designers, and marketers as a self-published author just got a lot easier. Go to readsy.com today to sign up and set your first collaboration in motion. That's R-E-E-D-S-Y dot com. Oh no, that's a great term. That was it was laziness. I still don't really understand how I do it. To be told exactly what to write, I kind of gave up. That sort of story is inspirational to a lot of wannabe writers out there who feel they have a book in them but are living a totally different life at the moment. It spoke to me to be away from a cookie cutter sort of, that's a terrible word. I started working on writing as escapist. Taking a book the whole nine yards, from an idea in your head to words on a page, from a scribble on a napkin to a listing on Amazon, that's easier said than done. But it's also easier than you'd think. I'm your host, Casimir M. Stone, and this is Readsy's Best Seller, the podcast demystifying the process of self-publishing a book for aspiring novelists everywhere, one episode at a time. This is Season 3, Chapter 3, The Prince and the Paradox. If you're anything like me, you probably hated the finale of Game of Thrones, and perhaps could not put your finger on why. The cinematography was as beautiful as ever, and it wasn't that it was badly written per se, or that the characters got old, or that it lost its spark ever since it stopped following George R. R. Martin's plot. It wasn't even that it was predictable, at least not in the traditional sense. No spoilers here, but I don't think any of us saw the eventual ruler of the Seven Kingdoms coming. But nevertheless, the finale was exactly what I expected. A neat bow, tying off all the loose ends, and a far cry from the gritty inversion of the high fantasy genre that it once was. Remember, this is the same Game of Thrones that began with an archetypal noble warrior protagonist, only to unceremoniously behead him midway through the first season. A happy ending just felt off. And if you didn't hate it, then congratulations. You've subverted my expectations. Whenever we, as an audience, consume media, be it television, a best-selling book, or even a self-publishing podcast, we go into it with expectations. Expectations of how it's going to turn out, or how we'd like it to turn out. But sometimes, when it turns out exactly how we'd like it to, we don't like it anymore. That's why when I meet someone who devours detective novels, I point them in the direction of G.K. Chesterton, specifically to his collection titled The Man Who Knew Too Much. In it, an amateur detective follows the formula set by Sherlock Holmes, deconstructing every last detail of a crime to determine exactly how it was committed and by whom. Then, just when he's got the culprit dead to rights and the audience eagerly expecting an arrest, he relents. He is, after all, just an amateur, and the culprits are always just a little too rich or powerful to arrest. 
there's a reason they called Chesterton the Prince of Paradox. As Time Magazine famously observed, he made his arguments using every proverb, allegory, or trope in the book. It's just that he did so by turning them inside out. We've already introduced tropes in our fifth addendum episode, those tricky storytelling motifs that recur across genres, rhetorical devices that struggle to simultaneously tell the type of story readers are expecting without telling a story they've already been told. But in young adult literature, tropes aren't just a storytelling device. Oftentimes, they're the whole story itself. How, how do you feel about tropes in general? Like a young adult especially has a lot of them, you know, this idea that like the parents are dead or like the adults mm-hmm. can't really do anything. You know, maybe the, uh, there's like the chosen one to it. Certainly. Yeah. Level- <laughs> yes. The, the orphaned chosen one in a love triangle. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> they're, they're all there. You know, kids, whether it comes to food, friends, or just about anything else in their life, they can be pretty picky. This is especially true when it comes to the books they read. As we discussed in our sixth addendum episode, trends and sometimes entire genres are born simply because young adults can't get enough of a certain type of book, which posed a bit of a problem for Tara. Me personally, when I first wrote the first book, I had no intentions of publishing it. And so I wrote what I wanted to read. And I wrote where I saw the story going in my head and what I wanted. Tara, you'll recall, writes under the pen name T.M. Holiday, aka the acclaimed author of the YA hit novel Hiding Halo and the Candy and Airs series. But if you stayed with us this whole season, you'll also remember that she initially wrote her novel as a world for her and her alone to escape into. Reader expectations didn't enter the picture at all. In fact, it was Tara's aversion toward tailoring her content for others that came very close to keeping her novel that way. An escape for her only. I initially queried for about six months. Like most first-time authors who are more interested in creating a world than sharing it with the rest of the world, Tara didn't know much about what it took to actually publish a book. So once she was finally convinced to do so, her notions of the publishing world were pretty limited. Write a query letter, get an agent, let them do the rest for you. And as someone writing primarily for herself, she didn't even make it past the first step. I think writing a query letter or a blurb is five times harder than writing the whole dang novel. (laughs) I hate writing queries and blurbs. It's just, it's just, it sucks the life out of you. To take your book and try to narrow it down into a few sentences without it sounding cheesy or cliche or it's just it's just it's hard i'm kind of a control freak and i kind of want to do what i want to do mm-hmm. and so um i gave up querying of course she eventually turned it around and now manages a successful career as an indie author and i decided to indie publish And with a third book on the way, she now cares a little more about what her readers think. For book two and book three, I had to change my writing a little bit in the sense of I already knew who my audience was, and I kind of already knew what they wanted because I got a lot of emails about it. And so my, um, I still got to write the story that I wanted to write, but at least, you know, at least I got a little bit of, of support on the things that they wanted to see and, oh, don't you dare do this. 
So what caused this turnaround? The answer, ironically, involved writing the very thing Tara expressly knew readers did not want. Which sometimes I do anyway. But we'll get to that, because at first, even when she was writing only for herself, Tara was already meeting certain expectations. No matter how original you try to be, some tropes will surely work their way out of your subconscious and into your writing. And a YA novel could hardly be considered YA at all without a love triangle. Ever since the release of the Twilight series, in which the primary source of conflict and tension across four novels was nothing more than a love triangle, albeit one with its fair share of magic too, love triangles have been an omnipresent trend in YA books, whether it's in the fairy tale romance of The Selection or the violent dystopian world of The Hunger Games. It's been around much longer, of course. It was a favorite device of Shakespeare, and Alexander Dumas deployed love triangles as an impetus for revenge and war in his classics like The Count of Monte Cristo and The Three Musketeers. It's hardly surprising, then, with such renowned trendsetters, that these days the average love triangle has lost some of its stakes. However, Tara's is anything but your average love triangle. You'll recall from last episode a particularly dicey scene from Hiding Halo. The prince that the protagonist has been arranged to marry forcefully kisses her, after she's told him to stop. Despite being the purported third vertices of a love triangle, this, predictably, did not go over well with readers. At the end of my first book, my characters hated the prince so much. He did something that was not cool and kind of despicable. And um, that's why they kept telling me, she cannot marry this prince. He's a total D-bag. You can't, he, she can't do it. And Can I say D-bag on here? Yeah. Oh, totally. oh, dear. <laughs> Sorry. In fact, many readers were so upset that they were even calling for Tara to take the George R.R. R. Martin approach, a literary death penalty. For her, however, that was never even an option. You can't just kill off the prince because then it takes Halo's choice away. It takes your main character's choice away, and then it's too easy. And that's just a trope. You know, there's this love triangle, and then all of a sudden the decision's really easy because somebody dies or um, something happens to the other character that takes them away as a choice anyway, and you can't do that. But the more I wrote the story, I decided that I didn't want to take Halo's choice away. I needed her to choose, but in order for my character to be a respectable character that you can respect, she had to choose the one she didn't want. And I know that sounds really weird. And so I had, my character has to choose the prince that she doesn't want to marry because otherwise she's a selfish person because it means, you know, the destruction of a ton of people. And so I had to get a, around that because all of my readers let me, or at least any reader that contacted me, let me know she cannot marry the prince. She can't do it. Don't make her do it. You can't. I will egg your house. I will do whatever I have to do. You can. She cannot marry the prince. And, but I knew that I knew that she had to choose the prince. And so I had to add the trope of there's a reason why this can no longer be a choice in the love triangle and kind of take her choice away a little bit but after she already made a choice. Yes, you heard that right. Not only did Tara let the prince escape with his head fully intact, she actually married her protagonist off to him. As soon as she started paying attention to reader expectations, the first thing she did 
was invert them. Why? And why did it work? To understand the answer, you first need to know a little more about the love triangle in question. There's a lot of books out there where the characters meet and they hate each other and then they fall in love and then they go through trials and then at the end of the trials they find out they still love each other. But at the end of the book, they're kind of the same person they were at the beginning of the book. And I did not want that at all because my characters, when they met, she's in high school, you know? And if a relationship is going to to last and be this epic, sitting on the porch when we're 80, eating lemonade and thinking about our grandkids relationship, it can't be the same people that they were in high school, right? He's the guy that's protecting her and helping her transition into this new world, into this new normal for her. And she kind of falls in love with that because she's a high schooler and he's this hot guy who's always protecting her. Of course you're going to fall for that. (laughs) You know, like it's not a stretch. That Mm -hmm. says nothing about whether or not their personalities actually go together though. You know, that's circumstantial insta-love. I wanted to show a change. And so then as the series progresses, they grow very distant and they grow apart and they actually grow to kind of wonder why was it that I liked this person? Because the, the, the man, he kind of turns into a jerk. He's been captured. He's been, he's seen some horrific things and he's angry and he can't have what he wants. And he kind of is now out for vengeance a little bit against the bad guy. And he's mad at fate for kind of taking the girl away from him. And on her end, she's grown to see why fate put this other guy in her path. And she f- comes to fully accept it. And so my readers, I get I get all the time. They're like, okay, you're not gonna actually make her marry the prince, right? We don't like the prince. Take the prince away. And then through the second book, they read, oh, wait, you're making me like the prince. And so I had to make a girl go from a high schooler who's who's not, doesn't have the experience of the world and relationships and falling into love for her hot bodyguard into a girl that you can respect, who makes choices for the benefit of not just kind of herself, but her people, like her entire people and their magic system depend on this. And um, she's like, you know what? This wasn't my first choice and I'm not in love with this person, but I'm gonna make it work and I'm gonna try. And so she tries and she becomes a person that you can respect. Had she gone for her hot insta-love bodyguard, that wouldn't have been a happy ending, you know? And so to see that develop and then at the end finally come around where these two people who met a while ago in a in a situation that was easy to fall in love, how do they come back and get together in the future when it's not easy and after they've both gone through stuff that's changed them significantly. And so I wanted to see them get together when they're different people and relearn how to respect and love each other um, when they've changed. As the famous love song goes, you can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you just might find you get what you need. 
Just because tropes are expected and even desired by many readers doesn't mean you have to give them exactly what they want, especially if it gets in the way of the story you're telling. Often, it's better to do the opposite, to add more conflict to the story and more development for your characters if and when they eventually overcome it. In book two, my editor was like, um, I see what you're doing here. You're trying to make me like the prince and you can't do that. You can't make readers like the prince. And I was like, you know what? I, sorry. <laughs> but by the end, she was like, oh my gosh, I kind of like this prince. And so you, you may do something that the readers don't like, but you have to make up for it. You know, you have to show them why you're doing this thing. And then they understand, oh, that makes sense. It makes, um, it makes Halo more realistic. It makes this whole situation more realistic. But at least there's breadcrumbs along the way of the happy ending or the ending that they want. This idea might be scary for new authors. Honestly, it scared me a little, watching Tara calmly break down the reasons she didn't care what readers thought. She was more than willing to take her story in the opposite direction from which they wanted it to go. So, I asked her. Were you scared to do something like that at first? Um, no. <laughs> no, because I knew how it was going to turn out, you know? Like, in, my, in, in the future, there is a happy ending, and it's a happy ending that I think my readers will really, really like, even though if along the way there's things that they're going to be angry about. For in my third book, my character does marry the prince, and my readers are going to hate it. But it's in like chapter three or four. It's right at the very beginning. But there's stuff that happens along in the rest of the book that um, kind of. In, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It it um, it comes full circle. In fact, to hear Tara tell it, if you play your cards right, inverting tropes doesn't just help readers understand your characters better. It helps them understand themselves, too. Tropes um, get a bad rap because they've they've been done um, in in cheesy ways so often or so often that um, it's gotten predictable. Um, But the reason that they're there is because people want to read about them, you know, and there's something about reading about the chosen one that makes a reader get to live being that chosen one for a few hours and there's something about a love triangle that makes a reader have to analyze their life choices you know which and not just re, not just romantic relationships but something about being torn between two choices and seeing somebody else make a decision or seeing it play out for somebody else I think helps readers just who are naturally torn about any decision in their life. And so I think tropes play a role definitely in what readers want to read. And the question is if you can write it so it doesn't feel like you're being strung along on a cliche trope. Of course, inverting tropes doesn't always mean throwing caution and reader feedback to the wind. There are much subtler ways to play with your audience's expectations and achieve the same result. What is the trick for, I guess, inverting the tropes just the right amount so that you're still giving readers what they want or what they expect, but you're kind of flipping their expectations on their head just enough? Uh, Do you have any tricks for how to pull that off well? I'd say if your focus isn't the trope, you know, if you're not constantly reminding and playing off of that, 
but your focus is on your characters and their development and where the story is playing out. If you change it just enough, you know, some just slight different tweak on a trope. My character starts out as an orphan, but she's got her brother with her and she lives with her grandpa. And later on in the story, she discovers that um, her dad didn't really die. And so she does have her dad, but she finds out that her dad's kind of a jerk. And so it kind of like, I think if you're using a trope as like a foundation, but you're, you keep throwing surprises or twists in there to make the reader feel not quite super stable on that predictable trope, that it definitely helps a lot. Publishing a novel is a paradox. You are presenting your story to other people, most likely hoping that they buy it or read it or at the very least don't hate it. But those people, just like you, have their own ideas of what they want to read. You can try to match those expectations, but that's a slippery slope too, because no reader, especially not a young one, likes to be pandered to. And a novel written by you that isn't true to what you'd like to read will likely fall flat. So how do you write a novel for yourself and for others? It is a paradox, but paradoxically, it has a solution too. It just happens to be exactly the one you'd expect. Definitely have talked a lot in this podcast about your transition from writing for yourself to writing with an audience in mind, but does that kind of come full circle at the end? Like at the end, maybe the reader's expectations are what they're looking for isn't always going to be the best story and you just have to trust in in yourself to write the uh the story that you feel the direction is going in yes yes because based off of feedback after book one and even some of my feedback after book two i had a lot of people tell me no she needs to be with dagger she cannot be with the prince you can't do that and that story isn't a good story because she didn't learn she didn't grow Um, she makes selfish decisions and says, screw you to an entire race of people. And nobody wants to like that character, you know? And so they may tell me what they want and they may get what they want at the end, but it has to come full circle in a way that is satisfying and, um, is, is growth and development and characters you can relate to and respect. For young adults, however, the expectations don't end with the story they're reading. They are picky about how they read it, too. Young adults don't read ebooks as much as they read paperbacks, at least what I've discovered and through my experience. I sell a lot more paperbacks than I do ebooks, which isn't the norm for indie authors, I think. It's easier to market ebooks than it is to market paperbacks. And so I have found that to be an issue. Just as Tara was finally getting comfortable with writing for other people, she discovered the real difficulty with writing young adult literature, getting it into their hands in the first place. But we'll get to that in the next chapter. What, you didn't think this one would have a happy ending? Did you? Brought to you by Readsy, this is Best Seller. Over the course of this season, we'll follow an indie author's journey from start to finish in five chapters, exploring each step it takes to turn the escapist world of your dreams into a bona fide young adult series. Next up is Chapter 4, Paperback Writer. This episode was written, hosted, and produced by me, Casimir M. Stone. If you liked it, please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. 
Our guest this season is Tara Holiday, aka TM Holiday, author of the Candian Airs series. You can purchase her books on Amazon or on her website at tmholiday.com. That's T M H O L L A D A Y.com. And you can follow her on Instagram or Twitter at TM Holiday. This podcast, like so many self-published books out there, is made possible by Readsy, a marketplace that connects indie authors with the tools that traditional publishing houses would usually provide, such as editors, book cover designers, and publicists. You can learn more about Readsy on Instagram at Readsy underscore HQ, on Twitter at Readsy HQ, or online at R-E-E-D-S-Y dot com.